As a church in the heart of our city, we desire to engage culture, uphold truth, and love people well. In a world where life can be heavy and confusing, we want to cover the hard truths, but we want to cover them in grace. This is difficult and messy, but so are we, and the love of Jesus meets us in our mess. Our rhythm is to gather to worship on Sundays, and then scattered during the week, to love, live, and lead together. We are imperfect people who have been moved by the perfect love of Jesus. Come as you are and experience his love. All right, well, good morning. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. That video is really just a sample of what we're about as a church, what we would say our identity as Phoenix Bible Church is, our culture. And uh, I say it's just a sample because what Brad mentioned earlier, our covenant membership class is really the full deal. It's where you get a lot more detail than what you just heard. Um, that was a really cool video, wasn't it? They did a good job. Emily uh, Beck did a good job. Yeah, you clap for them. Um, it's, it's, all, it's all easy to say those types of things until a, a bright light's shining on you, like the sun in Phoenix, and there's a video camera right in front of you. And so they did a great job. But that's really just a, a sample of who we are as a church. Our covenant membership class is where you get all of that and more, our beliefs, our values, how you get plugged in, questions that you can ask about what we do and, and who we are as a church. So we invite you to that. Brad said it. Some of you have signed up. I think we have around 26 people signed up for this. Uh, but even if you didn't sign up, this is your first Sunday. and You just kind of want to hear what we're about as a church. We'd invite you to stay. We'll treat you to lunch. Uh, we do have child care for your kids. Uh, you can go get them, feed them, and then put them back in. They have a movie for those guys. And so we just want to make this as easy as possible for you to learn about uh, the local church. I'm a little biased, but I love our church. And I think you will too. And so we invite you to stay for our membership class today uh, after the service. We are uh, in part three of a series that you'll notice over here and on the screen. Who do you say that I am? It's a series through the Gospel of Mark. And uh, it's a one hour on a Sunday that we sort of dive into this. But we've invited you to dive into it throughout the week. And we've used the study guide to do that. And so hopefully you've grabbed one of these. If you didn't, there should still be some in the lobby and you can grab one and go through this. This is really good content. It's really helpful if you've never gone through a book of the Bible. Uh, just to go through it, and it points out ways to see what the text is actually saying. And get way more out of this than just an hour on a Sunday. And so grab one of those in the lobby. Study this with us. Grab coffee with your spouse, a friend, a roommate. And dive into the study of Mark together as we look at who Jesus really is. And who do you say that he is? I think that will be helpful for you. We are in part three today, uh, and we're looking at what we kind of looked at last week. It really continues as we look at our text, as Guy and read it, is the urgency of Jesus. Right, if you missed last week, you can go on iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, go on the website, and listen to that. I won't re-preach that sermon, but basically what we saw last week is this urgency that Jesus has. Right? He shows up and says, the time is fulfilled like, it's, it's here, all this prophecy from a long, long time ago, it, it is coming to fruition, and it's coming to fruition through me. And he says the kingdom is at hand, that he is the king ushering in the kingdom, this new way of life. Heaven is meeting earth in the person of Jesus Christ, and Jesus has urgency with that. And if you look at the text with me, verse 21, that continues today. Jesus immediately goes into the synagogue. We see that word immediately in this passage, in the passage last Sunday, we see it 40 plus times in the whole of the Gospel of Mark. Immediately he does this, immediately he does this. There is a sense of urgency as the king ushers in the kingdom. 
a couple weeks ago, we were talking about this in our, our community group. If you're not in a community group, this is where we hash out all the details and apply everything we discuss here. But in my community group, uh, someone in our group had a great insight about this. We were talking about why, why so much urgency? Like, why does it seem so dramatic? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom is at hand. Immediately, immediately. And a guy in our, in our group just said, you know, what's like people are thirsty. And Jesus had the water. And when you have water and people are thirsty, you don't wait around and give them other things. You give them the, the water, right? And that's what's happening in this moment as Jesus goes into the synagogue. He starts teaching. He does so immediately. But what's unique about Jesus is he doesn't just have the water, he is the water. He's not just talking about Christianity, he is the Christ. And so he has what our whole world needs, and so he wants to urgently give himself to them. And so there's an urgency that continues. And in verse 22, look at that verse. It says this, he taught as one who had authority, not as the scribes. So it's not just an urgency. There is an authoritative message that Jesus is proclaiming and practicing. Now, as we talk about the scribes, sometimes we rag on the scribes. Sometimes we rag on the Pharisees and the Gospels, the scribes and the Pharisees. I mean, they didn't really get Jesus. They didn't really understand. I mean, Jesus was God himself walking amongst him. But the scribes and the Pharisees, I mean, they didn't get it. I mean, how could they be so dumb? Right, and we, we do that, and maybe that's my fault a little bit as a preacher and other preachers of like, we just rag on the scribes and the Pharisees. But if you actually look at the background, the scribes were well-respected theologians. People would walk, or, or as they would walk into a room, the scribes, people would stand up out of respect. The scribes are here. And so these are well-respected people, theologians, but their authority was limited. It was limited to things like the Old Testament, to things like tradition, that the scribes, as well-respected, as bright as they were, as much training as they had, all they had was sources. All they had was the ability to, to look at some Old Testament, some tradition, and, and analyze that and interpret that and then give that to other people. So they were amazing people, but they were limited just to sources. And this is saying Jesus... He has a different authority, not as the scribes. You see, the scribes needed a source. Jesus is the source. Some of you at some point in life had sources for a paper in college or high school or maybe you're continuing education. You have to put sources of where you got your information, right? And there's two different kinds of people in the world. One person likes doing that and you nerd out on that. And, and, and other people, the second person hates doing that, right? I went to seminary and I had to go to my sources and, and, and MLA and what are the other ones? I'm the first person. I did not like doing this, right? Um, and, and I would have to go and I, and I would just love to just to start writing and just read it and just start writing and go and go and go. But, but I had to document my sources and all of us had to do that. The scribes had to do that. They needed a source. Jesus is the source. He doesn't have to do MLA. He doesn't have to put footnotes in there. He says it, and it's so. He is the king proclaiming the kingdom. He is the Christ describing Christianity. That's what Colossians 1 talks about when it says that by him, through him, and for him, all things were created. 
He's the source. It's what Jesus himself says. If you look at the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. You have heard it said, but I say to you. Jesus' authority is different even than the scribes, well-respected theologians of that day. Jesus has different authority. He has absolute authority. And that's our first point. If you take notes, Jesus has absolute authority. He has unrivaled, unparalleled authority. There's no one like him. And even in this moment, you see people start to recognize that just a little bit. And we see an example of this authority. Keep looking with me. Verse 23, we see a man who has an unclean spirit. Mark uses that language to describe demons. Which, by the way, uh, if you're wondering, we believe those exist. We're going to talk about that for a moment here, so you should know. Uh, we believe demons exist. That it makes sense if we believe in a spiritual God, if we believe there's angels, there's also Satan, and there's also demons, right? And we see that in Scripture, Ephesians chapter 6. We don't war against flesh and blood, but rulers, cosmic powers, spiritual forces. 1 John 5 says the entire world is under the power of the evil one. James 4 tells us to resist the devil. So we believe there's a spiritual realm. We believe there's demons, not just in Jesus' day, but in our day. And the way we see this, even if you're new to church and new to this whole thing, the way we see it is primarily in deceit. Satan, at some points, is called the great deceiver. And we see this all the time, this, this spiritual force that's at work in deception. And it's in big things and it's in small things. Right? It's in big things when you see somebody shoot up a school. And they're talking to a psych psychologist on CNN after the fact, and they're talking about nature versus nurture and why somebody would do this and mental illness and medication. And maybe you've seen this before, and they're interviewing him and talking about something catastrophic that someone did. And they start to explain all these things at best, as best they can, but there usually is a time where it comes to the psychologist or to the expert where he says, and beyond that, we really don't know. We don't know why he did it. And what they are alluding to and what they are acknowledging in that moment, even if they don't believe in Jesus or know that Satan exists and that there's demons, what they are acknowledging in that moment is there is a greater spiritual force at work. And it deceived that person to do that evil thing. Deceived that person to do what would seem to be unexplainable evil. Why does that happen? There's Satan. There's demons. So you see this deceit from Satan in big ways, you see it in small ways. And it's not just those ways. It's not just out there on the news. It's in here, in this room. It's in your life, right? Th those times when, when you know something to be true, like community is helpful for you, like authentic relationships are good for you. Again, believe it or not, right, studies would show, research all the evidence, all the history shows relationships are a good thing. And it's in those moments where you know that intellectually, but you resist that functionally. And maybe somebody calls you and says, hey, come out. We need, to, we need to go hang out. We need some time together. I can tell you're down. I can tell you're really busy. You need to break away from that, and we need to spend some time together. It's those moments when your kid comes up to you, and you're scrolling through your phone, and you're like, I got stuff to do. I'm a really important big deal. And you're scrolling through your phone, and, and your kid comes up and grabs your leg and says, Daddy, can we play, play, can we play a game? Can, can we just go outside in the back? Daddy, will you play with me? 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 It's those moments when people are pulling at you for relationship that you know you need, 
But in those moments, you are deceived and you say, a little bit later, son, a little bit later, daughter. Yeah, I'll play with you later. This is more important. When, when your roommate says, hey, man, we need to talk. We haven't spent time together. Your, your spouse says, hey, we've been rubbing shoulder to shoulder together a lot. We need some face to face. And it's in those moments when you're deceived and you know that's what you need, but instead you resist that and say, yeah, maybe later. Let's set up a date. Let's set up a, a date on our calendar. Let's schedule that in. I mean, I'm kind of busy right now. I'm kind of a big deal. And, and it's in those moments where you are deceived. And it's sometimes that deception is directly from Satan. It's from demons. Getting you from what you know to be true, and instead of buying into that, instead of living that out functionally, just allowing you to believe that intellectually and remain in isolation, in insanity in isolation. There's deception, there's demons, there's Satan. It's at work out there, but it's also at work in here. I don't tell you that to scare you, but to sober you, to know there is a battle. The Christian life is a journey, it's a life, it's a relationship, but don't be mistaken, it's a battle that you have the Holy Spirit of God to equip you to fight that battle, to acknowledge that deception, to resist the devil, and he will flee from you to engage in relationships, to engage in God's word when there's so many other distractions, to not be deceived. So, so there are demons. We see that in this passage. We see that in our day today. And in verse 24, Jesus begins to interact with this demon. You see it. Look at it with me. The demon basically is taunting Jesus. How do we know that? He says, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? He says, Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth was a small town. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. We read about later in the scriptures. And so specifically, the demon says, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? He's mocking him. We know you're the Holy One of God. Look at how Jesus responds. I love this. Verse 25 and 26. Jesus basically tells the demon to shut up, to be silent, come out of him. Now, you need to picture this. I know this is hard for some of us. We haven't experienced a lot of spiritual warfare. But you need to picture this moment. This is not a struggle. This is not um, Rocky IV. Anybody seen the Rocky movies? Maybe I'm dating myself, apparently. Rocky is a great movie. There's like six or seven or eight of them now. But um, in Rocky Four, Rocky's going against Drago. And Rocky's like the tough guy, but he's a little small, right? And they get into the ring, and Drago's this big, huge guy, and they go all these rounds. And finally, at the end of all the rounds, Rocky's all blooded up like, Adrian! And at the last minute, the last round, Rocky gives them the punch and knocks them out. This isn't that, right? No, this is before they even make it to the ring. Jesus knocks out the demon, throws them down like a rag doll. It's like this highlight I saw the other day of Canadian football. Some of you are thinking, Tim, you watch Canadian football highlights. Yes, pray for me. No, this was a viral video. Some of you may have seen it. You can go look it up, the Edmonton uh, Canadian football team. It was this amazing thing. Uh, forgive me, I'm excited. Football season's here. But I'm going to show you what it was like. Um, here's, here's what's happening in this clip. The receiver on offense is about to run his route, right, pre-play. The defender is lined up across from him, and he starts to taunt the receiver. 
right? He starts to clap at him and say, come on, we got this. I don't know what he was saying. I can only imagine, right? And he's just taunting the receiver pre-play. And it's this amazing thing where immediately the receiver runs off the ball and plows right through the defender. Like immediately, and receivers don't even really do that. That's like an offensive lineman's job. But he, he just plows, immediately plows right through him and throws him down like a rag doll. That's what this is like, right? This isn't a struggle. It's not an action movie where this last minute heroism gets the job done and we all take a sigh of relief that in a moment, this demon is taunting Jesus and he throws him down like a rag doll. That's the power of our Jesus Christ. He's compassionate. We're going to talk about that. He invites kids to, to come around him and sit in a circle. Right? Jesus loves me. This I know. That's Jesus too. But don't be mistaken. Jesus is also the victor. He's powerful. He is absolute authority. We see that in this moment as he defeats this enemy in a moment. It's why people were amazed. Look at the text again with me. Verse 22, people were astonished at his teaching. Verse 27, they were all amazed. Now, again, we have to reset a little bit here because this is language that often gets abused and watered down in our culture, right? Astonished, amazed, awesome. Everything is awesome, right? If everything is awesome, nothing is awesome, by the way. Right? So we probably should use that word a little bit more conservatively. In this moment, that's not what you see here. People are astonished. They're amazed. That word astonished in the original language is to be filled with amazement to the point of being overwhelmed. To the point of being overwhelmed. You actually see it in a moment where, where they say, what is this? You notice that in the text? They don't just say, who is this? They're so dumbfounded. They're so overwhelmed. They're seeing Jesus throw this demon down with, like a rag doll just with his words. And they just say, what is this? What is going on? They're astonished. They're overwhelmed. And as that begins to happen, as people see the absolute authority of Jesus, a crowd starts to develop. And that leads us to our second point. Jesus not only has absolute authority, he has compelling compassion. We see that in verses 29 through 45. You see two people interact with Jesus and he heals them. The first one is a lady, it's a mother-in-law, Simon Peter's mother-in-law, and she has a fever. And we read that he takes her by the hand and he heals her. Notice Jesus has the authority to tell a demon to shut up in one moment. In the very next moment, he takes a mother-in-law by the hand. Now that's compassion. Anybody have a mother-in-law? That's compassion. Mother-in-law, I love you if you watch this later. Um, that's Jesus, one moment, power, authority. The next moment, let me take you by the hand. You have a fever? Let me heal you of that. This is Jesus, absolute authority, compelling compassion. The next example we see later in the text is a leper. He touches him and he heals them. Now, this is significant for a couple of reasons. One, in both of these instances, we know that Jesus doesn't have to touch a person to heal them. How do we know that? We just read it. How does he defeat the enemy, uh, the demon? How does he get that out of that man? Does he touch him? Does he, does he massage it out? Does he shake it out, right? No, it just says, he says, shut up, get out of him with his words. Doesn't even have to touch him. So does Jesus need to touch people to heal them? No, right? 
So that's significant because it's showing not just the power of Jesus, but the compassion to hold the lady by her hand. He said, get that fever out. You think he could have done that without touching her? Yeah. He just exercised a demon without touching somebody. I think he can handle a fever. But he, he, he takes her hand to heal her. It's significant specifically with the leper. Leprosy was a debilitating disease. It had physical and emotional ramifications. Physically, if you've ever seen pictures of a leper, they had red sores all over their body. It could cause nerve damage. You could lose limbs. It was a debilitating, painful skin condition. But that was just physically. It went deeper than that. Deeper than the physical pain, there was emotional shame. That, that lepers were considered religious outcasts. That if you touched a leper, you would be considered religiously unclean. You weren't supposed to touch them. They weren't supposed to be around people. It would probably have been decades since this man had been touched. Since anybody had even got close enough to touch him, right? And so what does Jesus do in this moment? He touches him. Because Jesus has absolute authority, power in just his words, but he also has compassion to grab a lady by the hand, to touch someone who hadn't been touched in years, maybe even decades. This is Jesus. And we see this, we see this posture of the leper just in the way he approaches Jesus. Look at the text. He says, if you will, you can make me clean. If you will, you can make me clean. Basically, he's saying, I know you can. I'm just not sure if you will. I know you're able to heal me. I just don't know if you would want to. I mean, I am a leper. Physically, I've been an outcast. Emotionally, I'm sunk down in shame. Like, I know you can heal me. I'm just not sure if you would want to. Anybody ever been there? Maybe you don't, you don't have leprosy. None of us have that. You don't have the physical pain of that. But maybe you have some some shame that came along with something like leprosy. And you think some, some habits that you hate, some addictions that you hide, some things in your past have, have caught up with you. And even this morning as we talk about the compassion of Jesus, you think, yeah, for everybody else, but not me. Yeah, Jesus maybe would, would heal other people, but not me. I mean, Jesus, I know he's absolute authority. I know he's all powerful. I know he can, but I don't know if he'd want to heal me to fix my situation, to mend this relationship. I know he can, but I don't know if he'd want to. And in this moment, Jesus is talking to the leper, but he's also talking to you, and he responds and says, I will. That word in the original language is thalo, which means to wish. It's a deep desire. Notice Jesus says, I will. I have this deep desire to heal you. Be clean. I can and I want to. Jesus says that to you. Jesus says that to him. And it's compelling. We see it. The lady, the mother-in-law, a whole city shows up. The leper, Jesus tells him, don't tell anybody. What does the leper do? He tells everybody. Yeah. It's compelling. You can't resist it. You're drawn to it. And it's so compelling that it says Jesus has to go to a desolate place to pray. And apparently he was there for a while because the disciples go looking for him. Jesus, where'd you go? Well, the crowds are so aggressive at this point, Jesus has to go to a desolate, desolate place, a place where nobody else is to pray. Now, why is this so compelling? 
Why are so many people drawn to this? Because it's so unique. Jesus, think about this. Jesus had power, but he used it for good. Jesus had authority, but he expressed it in love. Is that unique? Just look at our culture. Look at our politics. I know right now, even with state of Arizona elections, we get uh, these massive postcards in our mailbox. Do you get these or is it just me? Okay, God bless you. Thank you for empathizing with me and my weakness. Um, I get these massive postcards, right, for all these people that are debating one another and trying to get elected. My kids hear the commercials on the news. You know what my kids have said to me? They said, hey, why is uh, Kristen Cinema such an evil person? <laughs> She's running for Senate, I think. Um, why is this other person that's running against her, why is she so bad? She really did that? I haven't taught them about politics, right? I haven't taught them about Republicans and Democrats. They're just seeing the postcards in the mail and hearing things on the news. And they're wondering why these people hate each other so much. Well, why do these people in power seem to be such jerks? Right? They're just kids observing the world. And this is the conclusion they are coming to. We see power, but we don't see compassion. We see power, but we don't see it lead to good and love. We see authority, but we see isolation. Jesus is unique, right? He has all the power. He has all the might, all the right. He is the king proclaiming the kingdom. He is the Christ. He doesn't need a source. But how does he leverage his power? For good. To the crowds as he teaches, to the leper in this dramatic fashion, to the demon in this dramatic fashion, but also to the mother-in-law in a home who has a fever. Jesus is unique. He has power, but he also has compassion. Jesus is unique. He's miraculous, but he's also personal. He does these amazing, large, miraculous things, but he also engages one-on-one with a person. If you do follow sports or, or just have celebrities that you admire, right? What, do we, we, what stands out about a celebrity or an athlete? It's when they're so popular, but we see that little video and that, that popular athlete who could go to all the crowds, he approaches a little kid, right? And he bends down and he gets right in front of him. Maybe he signs an autograph. Maybe he gives him a hug and he takes a picture and we think, man, what a great guy. Like those videos go viral, Why? Because that's so rare. That's Jesus. He is powerful enough to calm the storms. But he's also compassionate enough and personal enough to engage a child, to engage a person. Jesus is unique in that he takes care of the pain, but he also engages the person. And that's difficult, isn't it? I mean, that's difficult. If If you are married to take care of them, but also engage them, that's difficult. If you have friends and you think, man, I'm supposed to help take care of them. We're supposed to take care of each other, but we're also supposed to engage each other. I think the way it shows up most in my life is with kids. I'm a dad of three kids and just taking care of them, right? Their personal hygiene, like getting good grades in school, taking care of them, making sure they have their shoes on the right foot. I mean, just taking care of them every day, it's a lot, right? It's so much at times, just in general, that it's hard to engage them personally. I experienced this to an extreme, though, last weekend. Uh, Two of our kids got injured on the same night. Uh, It was a Friday, end of fall break for our kids, 
and we had this huge thing. We're going to go camping in our backyard. It was going to be amazing. We didn't quite make it to camping because my three-year-old went skating with uh, my wife and our other kids, and she was skating, and everybody was having a great time, and my wife was sending me all these little cute videos of their time together. But at one point, right at the end, that last moment when you thought you should have left a few moments ago, you've been there? It's always when disaster breaks, right? That last moment, my three-year-old hits the deck, hits the floor, uh, swollen up forehead the size of a baseball, bloody nose, three years old, right? Skating is so dangerous, right? Have to go to urgent doc, do that whole thing. We get home, still trying to pull off camping. We are resilient parents, all right? We're trying to overcome that. Like, Satan, you will not resist the devil. Like, we're in that moment, right? We're like, we are camping out by the Spirit of God. And as we start to try to do that and still try to navigate that and the fire pit and the whole thing, my other two kids are fighting over the ice pack for my three-year-old. And in that war over this coveted ice pack that's for my three-year-old, my son, who's six years old, drops the, the dining table bench on his toe. And he immediately starts to scream and cry, and we had to make another trip to the urgent doc. And we find out later, a few doctor visits later, he has a hairline fracture in his left big toe. So just picture my family life here, three-year-old baseball swollen, uh, size of a baseball on her forehead, six-year-old with a broken toe, right? Now, now, since that time, here's what's been happening. Here's what I noticed as I was studying this is when I've been caring for my kids a lot, right? How's that toe going? Hey, put your boot back on, right? Don't take that off. Right, hey, how's your forehead looking, Tana? Be like, let me, let me put some Neosporin on that. Let me make sure it heals okay. And I've spent a lot of time taking care of my kids, but sometimes I forget to engage my kids. Sometimes I'm busy preparing the table, but I don't ever sit at the table, right? Sometimes I'm busy making sure they get good grades, but not just talking to them about what they learned, right? Sometimes we're so busy shoulder to shoulder, hey, here's the next extracurricular activity, the next soccer practice, the next thing, let's go shoulder to shoulder together, but I'm not face to face because it's hard to care for people, but also engage them. Now, parents, one lesson we can learn from Jesus and how he models this for us is we need to engage our kids, right? This is just a side note. I was convicted of that this week, but it's also looking at how amazing Jesus is that he does both. He takes care of people, but he also engages them. He grabs people by the hand. He sits with people. He talks with them. He doesn't just heal them physically and impact their body. He impacts their souls, right? Jesus takes care, but he also engages. Jesus is powerful, but he's also compassionate. Jesus is unique. And so people are drawn to that. And some of you need to hear this today. Some of you need the power of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, but you also need the compassion of Jesus. Which one is that for you? Some of you, as we look at this text and we see these examples, this lady has a fever. Maybe you don't have a fever physically, but you do emotionally. You've been going so hard with work, with your kids, with all the things you're trying to get done, and you're running at a feverish pace, and you're exhausted. If you, if you just te- took a second to, thought, to think about your schedule, you're exhausted. And you need to hear the compassion of Jesus that he wants to engage you personally, 
that he wants to get with you face to face and, and care for your situation, but also just engage you, also just meet with you to say, put down the phone for five seconds. It's okay if you're not in every extracurricular activity with your kid. Like they may get a scholarship or may not. That's not your security. That's not your dream. Can, can we just spend some time together? Some of you don't have a fever physically, but you do emotionally. And Jesus wants to, in his compassion, meet you right where you are and engage you. Some of you, Jesus wants to engage you with his, his power. Some of you, if you're honest, there are things in your life that you have not submitted to Jesus. What we see in the demon is when Jesus says, be silent, come out of him, what does the demon do? He obeys. It says that. The demon obeys and he comes out. Sometimes, in this case specifically, demons do a better job of obedience than Christians. The demon recognized the authority of Jesus. I better obey this. I, it doesn't matter if I don't feel like doing it, if I don't want to do it. It's been a hard day at work. He obeys. Listen, Christian, you have a higher call to obedience than the demon. And some of you need to hear the compassion of Jesus, yes, but also the absolute authority of Jesus. And you say, well, Tim, I don't really like the authority of Jesus, the power of Jesus, much more familiar with the compassion of Jesus, the love of Jesus. And I would say to you, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, if you want my compassion, you will obey me. And so some of you need to ask, how do I need to stop, receive his compassion in my feverish pace? Be free from my shame and guilt. Some of you need to ask that question today. But some of you, if you're honest, you need to ask a different question. And it's not, what do I need to receive? It's, what do I need to obey? What do I need to submit to? Jesus loves you and wants you to obey him. Jesus loves you and wants you to forgive that offense of that other person. Jesus loves you and wants you to repent of that cycle of sin. He wants you to obey. He's calling you to obey, to be subject to him as the, the rightful king of the universe. That is Jesus. And so how do you need to obey? Maybe for some of you it's as simple as getting baptized as a believer. And maybe you've been struggling. Well, I don't want to get wet. I don't want to be in front of people. I don't know if I'm fully clean yet. Listen, Jesus has already made you clean through the cross. That's what baptism celebrates. That's when we take pictures. That's when we clap. It's a celebration of what Jesus has done, not about you getting your act right. And some of you need to obey and be baptized and stop talking about excuses and why. I don't know if I really want to commit. I don't know if I want to get in front of people. I mean, people knew what I'd done. No, you need to obey and be baptized. Some of you need to obey and, and begin to love your spouse sacrificially. Some of you need to obey and repent to that person you know you have wronged. Some of you need to obey and just say, Jesus, I'm distracted a lot. I go to other things a lot, and they have become my king functionally instead of you. And you need to obey and repent of that and give that up and grab a hold of Jesus. Where are you today? What do you need to receive his compassion? What do you need to obey his kingship? Let's take a moment and reflect on that now. Father in heaven, 
God, I, I thank you that you are both authoritative and compassionate. God, I pray for these men and women that they would know both. Sometimes we focus so much on your compassion, we forget about your authority. Uh, for some of us, we focus so much on the authority that we've forgotten you're a good and gracious king that we can trust. God, help us in this moment to respond however we need to. God, you have illuminated your truth this morning. You are faithful to convict us, to challenge us, to encourage us. I, I can't do that, but you can in this moment. So God, I pray for every man and woman in this room that they would soften their heart, that they would listen to your spirit. And just as we started this, they would be urgent. They would not delay that what you're calling them to obey, they would do it now. Life is a vapor, they would do it now. God, in the same way, they would receive your compassion, your forgiveness, your freedom from guilt and shame now. This is what we're here for. God, this is what this time is for. It's not for anything else. This is what this time is for. Help us to respond. And I thank you that you're good and gracious and powerful and authoritative in the midst of our response. You are faithful to finish what you started. God, help us to see that, celebrate that, and respond to that in this moment. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.